Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. If you haven't heard already, I am currently doing a charity fundraiser, and you can donate to this charity fundraiser. You can also buy tons of really cool merch with 100% of the proceeds going to these charities that I'm supporting. But if you don't want any merch, you can also donate. There's a donate button on my website. And again, 100% of the proceeds will go towards our five chosen charities. And the cool thing is you will be entered to win a photo shoot with Studio Aviva. That's Farah from Studio Aviva. The value of this photo shoot is $275, people. Every single person who donates whatever amount will be entered into this contest. Her photos are phenomenal. She took all of the shots that you see of me holding all our cool merch. And if you haven't seen already, she took this photo of me in a green suit, which is probably my favorite photo of me of all time. Not probably. It is my favorite photo of all time. And it ended up being on the cover of a magazine. Like, she's just so good. So if you need new headshots, if you need promo shots, editorial shots, whatever, or if you just like getting your dang picture taken, don't we all? donate to our incredible charity fundraiser and you will be entered to win a photo shoot with Farah. She doesn't just see and shoot Toronto actors in Toronto. She travels, people. You can get your photos taken in Toronto, Vancouver, or Los Angeles. She will travel. She's amazing. So donate today, help support some charities, and be entered to win a $275 photo shoot. I mean, come on, people. How amazing is that? Just head on over to my website, www.janetmcmorty.com backslash store. Scroll down a little wee bit and you will see the donate button. All right, let's get to this week's episode. My guest this week is Michael Mao. Michael was a teacher turned actor and we have a phenomenal conversation about his decision to transition from teaching into acting The similarities between teaching and acting. I mean, teaching is so performative, but he's hilarious. He talks about how, yeah, you're performing in front of an audience that does not want to be there. (laughs) So he tells me all about what it was like to quit his job and become an actor in March 2020. What happened in the world in March 2020, guys? Anything important? Oh, my God. The entire world shuts down. He has an incredible story. Listen out for a hilarious take on auditioning. He has this idea about spite auditioning, which I love. And also we talk about how he copes with rejection in an extremely healthy way. Please enjoy the incredibly talented, I'm going to say Silver Fox. He's he's a good looking guy with nice silver hair. Michael Mao. story how did you how are you did you get into now full-time acting well my story began in 1993 <laughs> uh which is true actually i i was in freshman in college and i was a theater major and i scored the like the cherished role of hamlet my freshman year and i was hooked and i Absolutely. I thought oh, this, this is all I want to do. And then I, I met a girl and I thought, oh, wait, no, this is so much better. 
then then this hard thing on the stage and within months I had changed my major to English uh, so that I could spend more time with her. And my life went in a whole different direction. I, she probably hates hearing this. We, we got married uh, five years later. <laughs> we have two children. Um, but it was, it was a whole different life. And ever since then, there's just been this gnawing in, in, in the back of my head, just, you know, and I've, I just keep getting drawn back in in some way. And I was over the years, I would do a little community theater here and there just to, you know, um, feel like I was still involved, but it, it just was never enough. It kind of felt like I was a drug addict for performing. And in, I was in a play and, uh, I don't know, a few years ago, and one of the actors needed to leave rehearsal early because she had an audition for a commercial. And as she was walking out, I kind of ran after her and I said, hey, how, how, does, that, how does that work? What, what's, what's going on? How do you do that? I thought that was what other people did. I don't you know. Tell me more. She said, well, I have an agent. I said, oh, what? Like, I got an insurance agent? What kind of agent do you have? And she introduced me to her agent and I was a commercial actor. Not, not long after my, yeah, my, my major had been English. And when I graduated from high, from college, um, you know, I was, I was writing, I was, I worked as a newspaper reporter and eventually I transitioned into teaching. And so for 20 years of my life, I was defined as a teacher. I started off teaching actually with, with my English degree, I taught adaptive PE for students with disabilities. And I did, I taught resource biology, all kinds of things I was not qualified to teach before I was eventually allowed to teach English. And I, I taught AP literature for many, many years and transitioned to college freshman uh, composition. And that's that was the, my last job was teaching freshman comp and the pandemic hit and I taught one more semester online and it was terrible. And, and I just told myself, I said, if I don't do this now, I was 45 years old. I, I, I'm never going to. And I put in my notice and here I am growing up. Were you a theater kid or like what drove you into pursuing a theater degree initially? Sure. I, I was not necessarily a theater kid initially, but I was very theatrical. I watched a lot of TV as a kid and tried to imitate the people on TV. I did a lot of voices. I entertained my family and friends, but I wasn't, I didn't really know until high school that people did theater. I, I, I guess I didn't understand. My, my parents weren't involved in the arts in that way. My mom is an artist, but not performing arts. And I just, it wasn't part of my world. Uh, and I, I was a freshman in high school when somebody connected me to a community theater in Memphis where I was living. And there was a play called 
I sincerely doubt this old house is very haunted. And it was a musical. And I was my first audition ever. I think I was 14 years old. And I got the lead. And that that hooked me then. And after that, it was high school, you know, the the performances in uh, my high school. We did Don't Drink the Water with a Good Doctor, you know, typical high school uh, plays. And I just I loved being on on stage. Were you ever so a lot of people who I chat with? The reason they were very th- theatrical growing up, where they'd done some high school theater and then were, you know, kind of persuaded or dissuaded, right? Persuaded to go into something not theater or like dissuaded from like a performative arts career because of how, you know, not sensible it was, mm-hmm. is, right? I know you said your mom's an artist. Did you have any pressure? I know there was this swap when you met your now wife, but like when you were growing up, was there pressure or anybody saying theater degree, son? <laughs> no, no, not at all. And even now, you know, my my parents watched me as a professional uh, with a steady paycheck. And when I said, I'm, I'm giving all of that up. There was no, are you sure that's a good idea? It was only, okay, well, how can we help? And I, you know, I know that they are terrified. Uh, my father, especially, and he checks in. So what's, what's going on? Do you need any money? Uh, how are, how are, how are things? But he, is always if if there's some clip of something or some commercial or whatever he's always sharing it with friends and family and i am so blessed uh to have to have parents who are that supportive mm-hmm. so teaching is very performative right like you could oh, it, is. It, it is very performative what is it about i guess like what is it not what what does teaching not have that kind of didn't give you that nice little tingle that says, Oh, I want to be back on stage. Like what is it about theater and what isn't it about teaching? Well, it did for, for a long time. And the one other thing that teaching has is it gives you no time to think about anything else, but teaching Hmm. because you know, A, you have a regimented schedule. You know exactly where you're going to be all day long. And when you get home, especially if you're an English teacher, you know that you're going to be reading or coming up with some engaging lesson until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight. And so my whole life was how do I engage my students so that I can sell them this product that they come in not wanting. Mm. Hmm. And so you are, you're a salesman, you are a performer. Um, I was also the a speech and drama coach, and I had a team of, of students who competed in, um, you know, in speech and drama on the national level. Uh, so I was always when I wasn't teaching, I'm traveling with, with them. And 
watching them get to perform and watching them have a reaction from the audience and and just being able to be there to help tweak and all of these things it they're they're very rewarding but there's also this this sense of like why aren't i doing that that's what i like to do they're doing what i like to do and you you hear uh the, you know that the, the common you know phrase that is um you know those who can do and those who can't do teach and and while i know that that is garbage it's still you hear it in your head just like you know i could be doing this and when and when your students are always saying how come you're not acting why you should be acting because you know i'm i'm teaching literature and i'm trying to engage with them so i'm performing soliloquies from Shakespeare and I have hand puppets up there so that I can be both Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Sorry, McBee, theater people. Okay. Um, and, and so, yeah, you're, you're getting um, a little bit of, of that, but your audience is the same every day. <laughs> they do get bored of you and you are responsible for whether or not um, they pass or fail. <laughs> so you're both the enemy and their guide. And um, it's, it's a lot emotionally to take on. Whereas, you know, on stage or now behind, you know, in front of the camera, um, my audience is, is separated from me. Hmm. And their expectations of of my performance um, are either a I don't even get to see them at all because we're they're watching on a screen weeks months later, or it's tied into a lot of other actors on stage in this you know in this common performance, and it's it's you're you're not getting a lot of negative reinforcement from that audience whereas in teaching i mean it's it's a struggle constantly i mean you're you know you're juggling plates and telling jokes and doing and moonwalking and there's still some kid you know staring at his phone going what when am i ever gonna <laughs> it it wears on you after 20 years oh yeah it sounds so both of my parents were teachers and I don't think I really fully appreciated that aspect of it. The exhaust exhaustion. It just sounds so exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you decide to transition full time into acting. How did that work for you? How did you build to where you are now from deciding that? Like what were the kind of steps you took from like just logistically, but also kind of up here as well too? Sure. Well, I, I had been, I knew that I was going to be working towards leaving teaching. Mm. Um, I, there were a couple of things that were in place that made an, for a nice safety net. One, I had been saving money. Uh, Two, I was vested in my um, pension. So no matter what, when I hit 55, I can start collecting my pension. Now, I've 
got a few more years before then, but you know, so that safety net is in place. The savings were in place. I had also uh, accrued so many sick days that I could take more jobs outside of of teaching. And I, I, you know, I tried not to, you know, when you're responsible for for students, no, you know, the last thing you want to do is just leave them hanging with a substitute for a long time Mm -hmm. for, you know, several days. And I didn't want to do that, but I was able to take a few more jobs and, and I'm, and I talked openly with my students about it and they were fully supportive and they like to hear, you know, if I came back, what would what, you do this time? Oh, was that, it was a cancer drug commercial. Who'd you get to play? Um, and, and so I was just slowly working towards it and I set a goal, a deadline for myself. I, mm. I said, all right, by the end of 2020, I will not be teaching anymore at least full-time, what I thought I would do, and I did do this first semester, was to do be a part-time adjunct and to teach um, an asynchronous class so that I could prepare it and, and not have to meet consistently just in case I was going to be on set. And all of these things were, were headed in the right direction, and I was excited, and I, I put in my, my notice. I was teaching at a high school and a college at the time, and the first week of March, 2020, I, I sent a letter to the principal of the high school saying, this will be my last semester. And I, two weeks later, the entire world shut down mm-hmm. and we stopped going into school and everything was virtual and the film industry stopped working and I had already quit. And I thought, okay, so this is either a sign that you made a terrible decision or it's a sign that you just need to be very brave and remind yourself that this is something you have wanted all your life. And, and I had some savings, like I said, and I thought, all right, this is, nope, this is the sign that says you jump and something will be there to catch you. And I finished out the year online, and then I did one more semester uh, as a as a college freshman professor, and that was terrible because the students didn't want to be there, and there was this general sense around the world that everything might end, <laughs> and so the idea of taking a college a freshman English class virtually from your bedroom when you had never stepped foot on a college campus, they just weren't they weren't showing up. And it was just demoralizing. And I thought, well, this is, this is the sign. And I just doubled down on, on everything. I, I would submit for any role that even remotely seemed like me. I had an agent submitting for me as well. I was willing to work as a local in places I had no business working as a local I just just was immersing myself in that world because when school ends, that tight schedule also ends. And if you're if you have spent your entire life in you know, this 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 very strict schedule, and all of a sudden you can wake up at ten o'clock in the morning and nobody cares, it it's a it's a huge shift. And so I tried to make myself 
have a schedule where I, I, I know from this time to this time I'm, I'm writing or I'm submitting or I'm, you know, looking at this or I'm practicing this or I'm signing up for this acting class. And I packed my schedule and I got my mind, tried to get my mind off of all of the ways I could fail. And I made it through that, that year. Um, and that's, it's kind of how I've been working ever since. Although I have gotten more, more work, more jobs. So mm-hmm. I think that's really, I think that's really in, like, I love what you were talking about the scheduling because I think that's where a lot of people who have careers prior to switching into acting start to get lost because not only are they realizing that there's no strict schedule given to them, there's also, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way, a feeling of, okay, now my life is no longer scheduled, but up here is no longer scheduled. And I don't know if it's a guilt of like needing to work or wanting to work and seeing the arts as because it is so free schedule wise, nobody's telling you you need to submit at this time. You need to do this at this time. It can be, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like disorganized in every way, I think. And was there ever a sense of that for you? And how did you kind of get over that and really kind of commit? Cause I know for myself, just as an aside, there's that feeling of arts as other, And like my career in medicine as like, that's the moral thing to be doing where arts is like the frivolous thing. So not only is it not structured time-wise and as society sees structure nine to five, it's also not structurable up here. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Well, it does. And and there's another layer and that is, you know, as a doctor, you are a public servant. You Mm -hmm. are, when, when you say, when people say, what do you do? And you say, I'm a doctor. They're like, Wow. Yeah. Right. You know, it's 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 yeah. not dissimilar with with the teacher. Yep. Oh, I could never do that. Oh, you're just you're doing the Lord's work. Oh, My bless you, bless yeah. you. Bless you. <laughs> and and acting is seems to be such a selfish career. Mm. I mean, it's really about how do you look and how do you prepare and how do you me, 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 and what am I gonna get? And are people gonna see me? And who do I get to work with? And and that's a huge shift, and it comes with a, a level of, of guilt. Yeah. But also, yeah, that without having something that you are doing that is working towards the greater good. Yes, grading essays is essentially working towards the greater good because your job is to help students grow. And standing in my basement pretending to be an FBI agent um, so I can send a video to a casting director isn't helping students grow, really, not immediately. And, And so with that extra time comes a sense of guilt, a sense of dread, mm. and... The, the the existential crisis of does anything I do really matter? Yes, absolutely. And I think I remember reading somewhere, so I can't take credit for this. I wish I could. 
that like again because I I I feel that all the time dread yes that's 100% what it's what I'm feeling and but creating art in whatever way it is this is again not my original thought is literally the only thing that can cause empathy in other humans by like witnessing that art there's not much else even though it acting itself can be very selfish and narcissistic <laughs> there like i i can't when i read that quote i was like i i couldn't think of any other profession or thing that we ingest in the world that does create empathy right because when you watch something or what like or consume media you're like stepping into the story of somebody else and hopefully learning how to empathize with them mm-hmm. like so that was something that I know definitely helped me with my existential crisis that happens on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is, that is true. Um, yeah. Which is why, you know, the other uh, difficult aspect of being a professional actor is the choosing of, of what, of, of roles. Mm. And as a commercial actor, especially, um, you know, choosing what you are willing to sell. Mm-hmm. And depending on how empty my your bank account is, you might be willing to sell and uh, portray uh, a lot more than you thought you would. Um, unless you just have a very strong moral compass. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> and that's okay. Because... Yeah. <laughs> Because we have grown up responsibilities. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's right. Do you have any advice for anyone interested in changing their career into full time acting like you have? Oh, man, I've thought a lot about this. And it is the same advice that I give to, that I would give to anyone who says they want to be a teacher. And that is, you better absolutely know that you love it because this is a life of constant rejection. It is a life where you will question your talent. You will question your training. Um, you, you just, you have to be able to go into it thinking I'm not, I don't want to be a star um, or I'm not doing this for so that I can, you know, meet Ryan Reynolds one day. Um, but that it's just like, you almost have no other choice. And if you feel like in your life, you have no other choice, but to pursue this man, go for it. That's, that's why I, again, that's why I started teaching. And that's why I, I became an actor. Um, and I, I don't know what the what the statistics are for for acting, but I know that for met for forever, um, most new teachers quit within five years. Mm. And you know, I would assume that that's probably pretty similar for people who go into this profession. Yeah. And I, I know personally, you know, having just people who, who I either was in, in school with or knew from community theater who had at some point in their lives decided, I'm going to do this 
and they left and they went to New York or they went to LA or they came here to Atlanta and then they came home. And there's this sense of, we don't talk about why they came home and there's, there's a change in them. And it's the change of, I went to do this thing I love and I wasn't able to do it because every audition I submitted was rejected. Mm-hmm. And that is, oh, I mean, you know, there's only so many times someone can say no to you when you are put your soul out there, on, you know, in, in these tapes over and over again or in front of a casting director and, and you're just exposing yourself and being as vulnerable as you can be. And they're like, nah, somebody else before you're just like, oh, well, okay, I'm done. Unless, unless you, you, you won't let yourself say I'm done. Hmm. And that's, I, that's, I'm not, I am, I am, this is it. Yeah. I'm not going to allow myself to, to wallow in self-pity for too long. And I'm going to remember, you know, hearing stories of people from people like Jessica Chastain, who, what she thinks she said she didn't, she couldn't get a role for 10 years or something like that. Um, or all the actors who spent years working at Starbucks or who, um, there was some, some actor was talking, they were talking about how he was an overnight success, Matt Damon and how, you know, he, after, um, goodwill hunting, he just blew up and it was an overnight success. And, and he said, I had a SAG card for 10 years before we even thought about that movie. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know who I was because I was taking these tiny bit roles and every once in a while, like Matt Damon would end up in a movie like Mystic Pizza. And then, oh, yeah, his so-and-so's little brother. And I have to remember folks like that, like Morgan Freeman, who was a bit actor forever before he became Morgan Freeman. How do you deal with that constant rejection? Like any advice for people dealing with that and kind of getting past it because I agree honestly I'm at the point where I'm realizing that this is it's like survivor except the only thing that's important is outlasting everyone and just being like I'm not going to quit because I'm just going to keep doing this too bad mm-hmm. for you casting directors I'm going to still be here showing up right and they're just, it's almost like they're just waiting to be like oh she's still here oh interesting okay good job you outlasted everybody else right. you didn't quit Right. But but I agree, like all the constant rejection can really knock down people who have to get to an emotional place and vulnerable place to be successful as actors. So, yeah, what do you, how do you how do you deal with that? Two ways, a, a healthy way and a not very healthy way, <laughs> um, neither of which involve drugs. Um, the I'll start with the non healthy way, and that is spite auditioning. Which is me going, oh, I hope, oh, you're not going to hire me? Oh, I'll show you. I'm going to get this role and you're going to wish you hired me. <laughs> and the other healthy way in which is, is, is more realistic is that it's not that I got rejected. It's that there was somebody else who had something that was just right for that part. Mm-hmm. And 
I like to to magically think that I was number two on the list. And but for an inch of height or my hair was just a little too white or I didn't, you know, look enough like my eye shape was a little bit different than the actor that they hired to play the daughter. Mm. Um, and if, if for just that one tiny thing that has nothing to do with my talent or my training or my desire, I would have gotten that part. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at, I keep a spreadsheet of everything I've ever auditioned for, submitted for. And I'll go down and go, yep, it's number two on that. It was number two on that. And casting directors don't tell you that. They have other things to, you know, they have, they have more important jobs. They're dealing with thousands and thousands of people. So they're not going to stop and go, you almost made it. <laughs> you guy yeah. that I barely know. Um, and that's that's what you got to do it's 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 really not rejection and it's Mm -hmm. not uh, about about talent Mm -hmm. i so i auditioned to play a a character on stranger things i had several but this one is is quite memorable um and it was the the audition was for dad it's just dad character and i i thought i did i killed it great audition submitted it just oh i'm gonna get this and i didn't and it was for this season and that the show comes on and i'm watching it and i'm thinking well i'm gonna find out who they cast and the actor looks sounds nothing like me at all i mean just i was never even if if that's what they were looking for i was never in contention for this mm-hmm what I was in contention for, and maybe this is the third way I I, I can um, deal with that, is that that casting director wasn't auditioning me for Stranger Things. That casting director was auditioning me for a project that they don't even know exists yet Mm -hmm. in the future. And they just want to see how I do this role because they've got some plans for me. They're like, oh, let's, let's see, let's throw this guy in there. You know, let's see what Michael does, because, you know, I hear that there's this other thing that might be coming down and we'd love to cast that and maybe he'd be great for that. And, you know, they say you're not you're not uh, trying to book a role, you're booking the room. Um, And I have to I have to believe that as well. I did get to I, I reached out to that actor, by the way, and I sent him my audition tape. Uh, after the show came out and we had it, we had a nice laugh over it because he was perfect. I mean, there's, there's like, there was nobody else who was going to get that role, but this mm-hmm. um, guy whose name Mark something. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think I, I totally agree with you about that. That, that is how I think casting directors minds work. Because if I was to put myself in their shoes as just like say an individual who wanted to cast a film that is how I would work too. I think about people who I'd seen in other things or other audition tapes I'd seen and say, huh, I want, oh, a dad role. Oh, Michael, 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 Michael. He kind of looks like the guy. Yeah. The kid we've cast dad. Oh, let that. Yeah. Because I think that is how a creative's mind works. And I think where I, I know I'm guilty of, and I wonder if we uh, actors are, is forgetting that the casting directors are one on our side, and two artists as well like 
creatives as well too like their job is to is not to physically reject you like the bachelor like that's not what they're doing at all because that doesn't help them in any way yeah. <laughs> it's it's a weird i think because we think as actors we're like the core of everything and everyone is around us uh-huh. and which is so not true but yeah it's a weird it's a weird relationship, I think, the actor-casting relationship. And I think we actors are the one who make it weird. I think so. Because, you know, we're, we're, we're full of a lot of we have big feelings. We have to go somewhere if we're not, <laughs> if we're not putting them into a character. We're like toddlers. Like, I don't know what to yeah. do with my emotions. <laughs> I'm going to blame them. And also, it's con- I think control is a big part, too, right? That lack oh, sure. of control. Yeah. Of course it is. How can it not be? We humans crave that control. And when literally everything except for the work you're putting on your tape is out of your control, you try and find something to blame sure. that's external. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything that's been surprising? about the industry for you? I, yes, I am. I'm surprised at how much films in Atlanta and how little I know about it (laughs) as an actor. Um, I'm also surprised at, so uh, on it, when you submit through actors access, um, there is a submission report that, that the agents keep. And, you typically as an actor, I don't, I don't, I don't get to see it. I don't ask for it. Um, but, but the other day I, I did um, ask for my submission report because I wanted to see the kinds of roles I was being submitted for. And I wanted to look up those, you know, submission reports from months ago to see who was cast in that role. Mm-hmm. Who are they represented by? Who's, you know, all, all kinds of things. I just wanted to do some homework. And I was surprised at how many roles I had been submitted for that I had not even made it to the audition um, level hmm. and roles that when I looked at them, I was like, oh my gosh, I would have loved that. I would love to have read for that. And so it surprises, that surprises me because I think that I forget how many people are doing this job. There are a ton and more and more every day of all different levels and, and desires. So that, that saturation of, of the market uh, always surprises me. Mm -hmm. I'm also just as a consumer of media, um, someone who watched movies and TV, the waiting (laughs) <laughs> I guess it doesn't surprise me anymore, but it sure did. The amount of time as an actor you spend on set actually working versus eating snacks and sitting yeah. is mind-boggling. I mean, I, I bring my laptop to set. I get a lot of work done on my own when I'm just waiting for lights to be moved around. And in the theater, none of that is the case. You know, you're once you're on, you're on, but not on a movie, not on a TV set, not in a commercial. It's say these four lines, then we're going to move everything and shoot from the other direction. And that's going to take us about an hour and a half because we haven't decided exactly how we're going to light it. And uh, yeah, just go sit over there. It's very humbling, I think. Because again, that we talked about that bit earlier, but how we kind of actors think we're like 
the center of it all. And then you get on <laughs> set and you realize you're like, oh, oh, nobody cares. So like, get out of our way. Yeah. Go sit and eat snacks. Like you said, mm-hmm. you're like, okay. Yeah. I'm and get okay. mannequin whose mouth moves. Well, and, and, we'll, and we'll I, come get you in a second. Exactly. And I think the thing, again, that's so interesting about film and TV is, yeah, the mannequin that's mouth that moves. And then if you're not doing it the way the director wants, the director will literally tell you and you just have to mimic what the director is doing, which I guess is what acting is. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> like, great. I'm so glad I went and did all these acting classes. Yes. I am curious about your experience going from theater to film and television. How has that been as an actor? A, I went from community theater to film and television, which is a whole different experience, I would imagine, because I've I've never been an equity actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I've performed in some larger community theater plays with um, very talented actors, but it still remains. It, it, I don't know that that um, the level of, of professionalism was there. Um. I find it, let me talk about Daniel Day-Lewis to explain this. So everybody is always talking about how Daniel Day-Lewis, this wonderful method actor, and he stays in character the entire time he's on set. And when he was Lincoln, he was Lincoln 24-7. And someone asked him about it. and, And he said, you know, I know that people think that I do that because I'm this great actor. But I actually do it because I'm not great at going back and forth between being myself and being a character. So if I don't stay in character, you would see it on the screen and it would be terrible. And I don't want to do that because I'm it's, it is a weakness and not a strength. Hmm. And there is, it is very tough for me um, to hear cut to then go be around other people and come back and be a serial killer or come back and be an angry cop interrogating someone or, uh, you know, I, I play a lot of terrible people. So, um, you know, to, I've got a 12 year old kid who I'm about to punch, they call cut. And then I'm hanging out with this kid and his mom. And you don't get that in the theater because there are no cuts and it's really tough to maintain that level of of emotion to to jump right back into that moment and to also be thinking about continuity where what, what was i doing when i said this um so that i don't so when people watch it it's you know you're not like oh my hand was up here and then it's gone and then it's back and then it's gone and and so to be able to prepare enough to where that's not on your mind when when you are working um and that preparation i didn't realize how much preparation for film was going to be necessary before i stepped foot on set mm-hmm. um and and that and part of that preparation is just being able to to both stay in in that moment 
but also to be able to pull away from it so that you yourself as an actor are not trapped mm. in some very painful raw emotions that you are emoting when you're you know w- when that camera turns on mm-hmm. and i struggle with it every time and some sets i just have to walk away and be not you know not be around anybody um and some depending on the role I'm playing, I can just go, okay, cool. Let's tell some jokes now and then we'll jump right back in. And, um, but it's, it's a, it's, it's a process and it's tough. For me, what I really struggle with, with between theater and on set is the amount of people who are not in the emotional space with you on set. And it's nobody's fault, right? That's their their job is to be like, go away and eat your snacks. But like, if I'm in a role where, yeah, like you're saying, like emotionally, like I'm usually like a crying mom, right? Like really upset and getting really into it when they yell cut. And then somebody's like, we go for beers after uh, we're gone. And they're like, okay, Janet, we'll see you in like half an hour when we need to do it all over again. And you're like, okay. And then you've got like people around you, like, I'm not surprised when people say, oh, so-and-so is a bit of a jerk on set because they just put their headphones in and walk away and don't socialize with like the background or like the people. I'm like, I never do because I'm sorry, you're paying me to be here to cry and sob. I, I, maybe it's also because I'm still so new. I don't have enough training to be like pop. Yes. Hi. How's it going? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Beers after sounds good. Back into crying mom again. Mm-hmm. But that was something I, I agree with. I really struggle with that. I don't that in theater because there's just not as many people around you. Right. And also, like you're saying, it happens so quickly when, yeah, I'm the only one who needs to be emotionally upset and nobody else needs to for their livelihood. It's I really struggle with that. I really struggle. That's true. Yeah. Really I think you know, that the, the, you had mentioned actors who have a reputation. You had that, that famous Christian Bale, explosion on set Mm -hmm. and i didn't realize you don't realize until you've been on on enough sets that like oh yeah no i mean a he's in a heightened emotional state already and you know it's never okay to just yell at someone i get it but you know it's it's really tough to to do that job and Mm -hmm. and when you're in on stage when you walk off stage it's dark yeah (laughs) you're not you're not having the same connections when you walk off a stage in a sound stage it's the same it's you know Mm -hmm. and there's a whole lot more people like you said yeah and a lot of people who just don't understand Mm -hmm. acting they understand lighting they understand sound they understand you know being a runner but yeah yeah and i think also yeah, being on set, your audience, like you were saying, is in the future, uh-huh. but your audience in the present is not with you, right? They are doing their own job. They're concentrating on something else. And then also when, like when you finish your theater show, you leave, it's dark. The audience is doing their own thing, still thinking you're the character. 
And then, yeah, they'll see you like at the stage door or whatever. Oh, human being. But that gives them time to like separate. Where on set, they immediately want you to be the human being again, like immediately, uh-huh. like again, beers, beers after work. And you're like trying to still be the serial killer or whatever. It's a yeah. weird thing. So I can, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. Do you have any interesting or funny on set or on stage stories? So I was, I was shooting a short film in which I was a, uh, a sort of gentleman cannibal. Um, a, a serial killer to be sure. And in, in the film, I have a, I have kidnapped a chef and I am, the, the idea is that he's looking for someone who has this, who, who he can convince to have the same tastes as he does. And so she has to, prepare this this dish of human flesh and we sit at the table and we eat it together and the in order to make that scene work because you know that you know on set food is sitting out for hours and hours and hours and on a small budget you know you don't have unlimited you're just not going to keep making you know meat after meat and you it has to look like human flesh and i so the um the the set decorator had done a bunch of research on what would a last sitting out maintain its color its shape its etc and look like human flesh and the answer surprisingly was grilled watermelon huh. and if i could show photographs i i took them of this plated uh, grilled watermelon that looks identical to meat. Oh my god! And tasted with the seasonings that they put on it, identical to like a rare steak. And we <gasps> ate that all day long. You know, <laughs> fat free. <laughs> it's it's <you> know, <laughs> v- vegan friendly. Keeps you hydrated. Yeah, and. <laughs> And just you know chewing it, and and if not, it did not take very long to feel like we were actually eating meat. Wow! And to I mean, it had the same. It just it cut the same. It it had the same bite to it. It was amazing. You have to send me pictures. Yeah, I would love to see that. That's incredible. It was is it was quite. I I still it was it was amazing. That's yeah. so impressive. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. That's like those like film behind the scenes magic moments that you're like, who would have thought? Uh-huh. And who discovered that? Like took the time to discover that. That's incredible. Right. I know. <laughs> I mean, it was pro- probably happened in like a vegan restaurant somewhere. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You've mentioned your family a couple of times. Would they describe what you do now for a living would they say you're an actor or how would they describe what you do? Yeah. They would, eh? They yeah, they it. would. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's awesome. That's really great. Well, it's funny, you know, yeah, maybe from, from adults, I have, I have uh 13 year old twins and when, you know, and they tell people my, yeah, my dad's an actor and it kids tend to just 
immediately dismiss it. What? No, it's not. No. Right. Because just like I, just like when I was growing up, that's acting is what other people do who don't mm-hmm. live near me. Right. It's for other people. It's for people mm-hmm. in LA. Yeah. 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 For sure. Is there anything that you are looking forward to coming up this year? I am the, the the project that has been spent that I've spent most of my time on is one of my own. And I've um so I, I was a I was a writer trying to get published. Uh, I wrote short stories for, for a very long time. That's my master's is in creative writing. And so the, 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 I, that's how, where I learned rejection is submitting to journals and, and magazines. And so I have 21 published short stories um, all around the world that I have been adapting into screenplays because this is my life now is the screen. But as a uh, sort of transition into that, I adapted them into um, audio books, which is now a podcast that um, called A Blind Play of Social Forces. And they are, um, each episode is its own short story. And I hired voice actors from all over the world. Uh, I have... It, you know, performing from their home studios, from um, Australia, several Canadian actors, um, Egypt, Israel, and and so we are in uh, the fifth episode airs this Wednesday. They come out every Wednesday, and so that's that's what I've been looking forward to is. Um, not just editing, which is, is, is difficult, um, but but hearing these stories, some of which I wrote many, many years ago, come to life with the help of some of the most wonderful voice actors and hearing people's response to it. People who didn't, you know, who a, didn't know that I had been a writer um, and also folks who are like, well, that should be a movie. And I'm like, I know it should be a movie. We're going to work on that because now I have this podcast that can be in my pitch package. <laughs> this is what the movie will sound like. That is so awesome. It's like your, it's like your baby come to life, right? Like there's yeah. just such a, it must be really neat to hear your stories. It's what I found is the most fascinating is as I'm writing a story and, and even just, you know, adapting it, rereading it, I have certain voices in my head. This is mm. what this character sounds like. This is their, you know, this is their tone. Um, this is the rhythm of their speech. And then I have to audition people. And, you know, that audition process is being in the casting side and hearing so many great actors and having to only be able to choose one there was another reason why it's not rejection. It's just, this is the person that fit. Yes. But in several cases, the person that I hired sounds nothing like the voice in my head. Interesting. And it's like, oh, I didn't even know that that's what I wanted. And I wonder if that's the case with casting directors and directors. Um you know, where I, I've certainly had 
my my agent submit me for roles where I was not the right gender or ethnicity or age. And they're like, don't worry about it. The casting director asked for you. There's mm-hmm. something, you know, and I think it's they're looking. Maybe we didn't know what we wanted. Yeah. And that's been a really cool part is not knowing. Um, and then also being able to, you know, to talk to someone and record with someone who is in Australia and to be like, I never thought that the narrator of this was a going to be Australian and B was, you know, that I'd, I'd be able to do something like this. So you know, cool. you're, your toilets go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> You're literally on the other side of the world. And our That's conversation right. has to go to space first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I'll definitely, I, I've, I've checked it out on your website and I'll definitely link it in the, in the show notes, but that's, that's so cool. And I think, do you find that helps to keep that creative drive going? Because so much of what we do isn't like the acting part of acting. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I have to fill my day with, with something creative. And, and, and honestly, when I'm, when I'm not auditioning or on set or, you know, uh, editing uh, a podcast, um, I'm re- in the middle of remodeling my house. <laughs> there so you go. You know, there's gotta always be some, something going on that's creative in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, right? With the structure, right? Like some people do thrive when there's no structure, but like if you're the type of person who thrives with a bit of that, I don't know, with a bit of that structure, but knowing what you're going to do each day to help fuel it, I think, I think it's key mm-hmm. for la- for outlasting people. <laughs> I think right. it's key. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any final words of wisdom? You know, I, I had been acting. Uh, on on stages off and on throughout my life and and I had some training and so when I transitioned to to wanting to do more film and TV the idea of of more training wasn't something I was even remotely interested in I thought well I, I'm good at this I've gotten hired for lots of stuff I've been the leads in things I'm I'm really good I don't I don't need I don't need someone who I've never heard of teaching me how to be an actor. Hmm. And a friend of mine um, who is, is uh, an actor said, you know what? I think you're looking at this the wrong way. Take one class. I'm like they're expensive. Just take one class. Yeah, but it's the pandemic and they're all online. Just take one class. Fine. I'll take one class. And I took a class uh, with uh, uh, an actor named Kathleen Hogan at Drama Inc. here in Atlanta. It was an online class, which I was really against. I absolutely loved it. I had no idea. And there were, there were people in the class who needed a lot of help. And there were a couple of people who should be stars right now. They're just that good. And they were in there taking an on-camera acting class. And then there's Kathleen, um, my, who now I would call my acting coach. She treated every student like like they could still find new ways to grow. That there was that no one was above more training, and mm. she would constantly remind us that in every other career, you're always asked to continue training. As a teacher, you have yeah. to continue training. As a doctor, you have to continue training. 
And I finished that class and I took another one and another one. And I signed up for an Uta Hagen method acting class. And I signed up for another Uta Hagen class. And, and I asked myself for each class, am I learning anything new? And honestly, other than technical things for, for self-tapes, things that I just, because I hadn't been in the industry, I wasn't aware of. I don't know that I'm getting new information, but I am certainly getting reminders of the tools that I forgot that I had, mm. that I forgot were in my toolbox and how to use them in a less clumsy way. And so I'm finding these, these things that were already in me because I have this, this wonderful coach who is saying, yeah, but have you thought about this? And what is, you know, what is this actor? You know, what, what is the temperature outside? And, and what's happening on this wall? And, and just, you know, things that it's really important as you're preparing for a scene to think about and to get in your head so that when you're in that scene, you're not building the boat as you try to sail it. And so something as simple as interacting with a fourth wall or just being aware of what my face is doing, um, are, they're just great reminders. And so not being above taking acting classes, even for seasoned actors, I think that that's the advice I would give. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Michael, for being my guest this week. Everyone check out his production company, Mao House, M-A-U, House, spelt the European way, H-A-U-S. Mao rhymes with cow, productions.com. The link will be in the show notes below. He is doing some incredible things in this industry. So exciting. I hope you will all tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye!